This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. Today in our episode, we're going to talk about overusing and underusing our strengths. Um, In our last episode, we talked about how we can identify if we don't have an idea of what our strengths are. I posted a link and talked about an assessment that you can take that will rate your strengths on a scale of 1 to 24. It identifies 24 strengths. And it'll let you know what your top five are, what your middle ones are, and what your bottom ones are. But I want to talk today about overusing or underusing our strengths. I think a lot of times, you know, we think of kind of the mentality, right, is that we we focus on what our talents are or what our strengths are, and we just strengthen those, right, or we accentuate and and express those the most, and then we just surround ourselves by other like-minded people or, you know, like uh, virtued people, and then we just let go of the rest, right? And and what we found in some research that was done by Kaiser and Overfield is that taking a strength to an extreme is always harmful, right? Which, which makes sense. I mean, if you're in recovery or you're being exposed to recovery principles, one of the things that we know is that we're trying to avoid living in extremes. And so that makes sense to us when we hear that the research kind of says anytime we take one of our strengths to an extreme, that's harmful, both to us and the people around us. But what the research also found is even this mild tendency to overdo our strengths is also harmful. We're going to talk about that today in our episode. I think we're going to have some good things to think about for ourselves, some reflection to do, and hopefully this will also help strengthen the recovery that you are putting together and the program that you're working for recovery. So let's talk about how... um, we overuse our strengths, right? So when our strengths are working for us, right, some of the research has found that it produces both a vitality, which vitality is looked at in terms of creating some morale, um, a sense of positiveness, um, some cohesion and ability to connect with others and to have them connect with us. And then also performance or productivity, right? That the quantity and the quality of the output from using these strengths or from what we're doing is also increased. Now, sometimes, right, we can maybe use a strength in a way that maybe brings about vitality um, and engagement and cohesion, but maybe it lowers the quantity and quality of output, right? Or maybe what we do, you know, maybe that we in our work, like maybe we're a manager or a supervisor and we're very results oriented, right? And so we're we're asking our team to be very um, driven to produce a certain outcome and to produce that in a timely manner. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing for a leader or a supervisor manager to do, but is it being done at the expense of vitality, right? Are we so results oriented that the cost of morale or cohesion right, is is going down. And we just don't necessarily focus on, are we united as a group, right? Do we have each other's backs? Are we working? Is, is there a feeling of um, camaraderie in the work that we're doing? 
And so oftentimes we have to kind of look at both of those things the vitality and the performance and the productivity. And that can happen, you know, I mean, it's easy if we're at work. Those are kind of some of the language and the words that are used in a work environment. But we also want to look at that in terms of maybe our personal life, maybe our uh, family, the way that we parent, the way that we show up in the relationships in our personal life. So one of the things that we know is that more is not always better, right? And that when we overdo our strengths, they do become weaknesses. So let's look at some things. I was looking at um, some of the list of the character defects that AA defines, right? And so one of these things I wanted to talk about, right, because one of the character defects, one of the top ones that it talks about in the big book is resentment. And so if we were to unwind resentment, right, where could we have acted maybe in a strength-based way that would prevent us from going to resentment. So I'm going to use an example that I used to use when I was kind of a new therapist. And I don't really use it so much anymore, but I still think it's kind of a applicable and um, kind of a fun example. So one of the things you may not know about me as a person is that I hate tuna fish. I In fact, I really don't like fish, right? I'm 48 years old and I've come to this conclusion. I have tried. I know the benefits of eating seafood. I understand that it's healthy. I know the various ways of cooking it that people absolutely love. And what I found is that I don't like it. I just don't. And that's something I'm going to have to accept about myself, right? But one of the things I especially don't like is tuna fish. Um, I don't like the smell of it. I really don't like the taste of it, um, and and I think I pretty much have a strong sense of smell, and so that's one of those smells that lasts a while, right? Like, I, I kind of have this rule in my house, right? Not that I try to be controlling, but if any members of my family like tuna fish, my husband happens to like tuna fish, and one of my kids happens to like tuna fish, um, if they're going to eat tuna fish, one of the rules that I have is that's fine. You can you can eat tuna fish, but don't you dare like squeeze that juice out into the disposal or the sink, right? Because that just smells. And if you do, it better be followed by a little piece of lemon, right? To clear that out and neutralize that smell. The other thing I don't like is I don't like it the can sitting in the in the garbage in the kitchen because I can smell that. So you know, put it in a little bag, take it out to the garbage outside. Fine. You can eat the tuna fish, right? The other thing I really don't like is I don't like it in my fridge. Um, so either put a very good, you know, in a container with a very good lid that keeps the smell from leaking out into the rest of the, into the rest of the fridge, or just eat the whole thing in one city, right? So that's kind of my preference for tuna fish. But let's say that because I don't like the smell of tuna fish and, you know, let's say that somebody in my family opens a can of tuna fish, they eat part of it and they leave the rest, right? And I come along and I'm like, oh, that smells awful. And so I take that, put it kind of in a Ziploc baggie, maybe, although I am trying to reduce my single use, but for this example, I'm going to use that. So let's put it in that Ziploc baggie and let's say I just toss it in the closet, right? I toss it in the pantry and I'm like, okay, 
that stinks so bad. I'm going to like put some things over the top of it and be done with it, right? Well, let's say a week goes by, maybe two weeks go by, and I kind of start to get this odor, right, in the pantry. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't smell good. So maybe I get out some dish towels, maybe I get out some dishcloths, and I just pile it on top of that, right, hoping to cover and override the smell that I can smell, right? And another week goes by, and I've got to keep doing this, right? And I keep piling more and more on this to try to get the smell down. And eventually, it's not going to work, right? I can't put enough things on top of that to cover up the odor. So eventually, maybe I come to the point where I have to clean out the closet, right? And so I pull everything out, which is going to create a huge mess, right? But I've got to clean everything out, and I've got to go to the source, right? I've got to go to the source of the odor. And, and once I find that deeply buried can of tuna fish inside the Ziploc baggie, right? If I were to open that up, ooh, that is going to smell bad. And to me, that's what happens with anger, right? I think a lot of times uh, we are told that we should not be angry, right? That anger is not a good thing and we shouldn't be okay being angry. And so we're kind of told to kind of put it aside push it down, bury it up with some other emotions. And what I find is if we don't deal with our anger, right? And I'm not saying that we go on a rage, right? I'm not saying that we that we yell and we scream and we call people names or we break things. I'm not saying that at all, right? I think that would be acting out our anger, which I don't think is responsible of us. But when we act on our anger, right? Maybe I... Maybe something happens, and as a result, I feel very angry. I think that anger is one of those emotions that is, it, it's something we feel and it moves us into action, or that's what it's supposed to do, right? And I think that misunderstood anger oftentimes moves us into action that is not productive, right? Or it's not a quality uh, behavior that comes from that anger, but if we act on our anger, right, we're still gonna, it's still going to move us towards action. But if we're acting on that, I'm much more likely to maybe put a boundary in place, right? I'm much more lo- likely to address it directly and to speak up at the time instead of letting that kind of be pushed down and then simmer and become something even worse, right? And so the worst smell, right, of the tuna fish or the worst behaviors of anger, I think, are resentment, right? But that's had time to percolate, right? That's had time to kind of um, rot inside of us. And so when it comes out, it usually isn't, it isn't good, right? But if we just act on our anger, uh, that may be something that maybe is one of our strengths, right? Like maybe I've worked on boundaries and that's something I'm able to do and I feel really good about how I how I am able to see boundaries, see the need for boundaries, and to know what I need to put in place, right? So if we unwind the resentment, we find this place where maybe we missed a boundary. And if we were to act there and speak up or say no, then oftentimes we're going to avoid moving it to something like resentment. I think the same thing is true, you know, that um, one of the character defects outlined in the big book also is insincerity. Well, I think the strength of that, right, is genuineness, which that's a great thing to have. 
But if we start to use that too much, right, what we have is insincerity. And and people don't necessarily trust what we're telling them or the compliments that we're offering because it doesn't feel genuine, right? Because we say those things to everybody and we're always saying those things. Um, Another one I think is greed, right? So the big book talks about greed as a character defect. And I think that, you know, greed, sure, most of us are going to um, agree that that's a bad trait to have as a person. However, if we're to kind of look at that and kind of flip that into a healthy, right? Not the other extreme, but a 180 from greed, what does that look like? So I have a story about this. I may have shared this before, but I have a story. So daughter number two and daughter number three were soccer players and they played from the time that they were really young, but they have different personalities and the way that they played the game really lined up with their personalities. Those two particularly are also close in age, the closest in age of any of my kids, right? And so they kind of were... I think daughter number two felt a lot of times like daughter number three was like right on top of her or right on her heels. And daughter number two is a very, I would say her personality, she's really um, conscientious um, in a good way. She can be sensitive, right? One of the things we had to work on as she was growing up is finding that sensitivity in an optimal place. And so she's not being overly sensitive. She wasn't really one that who could be under sensitive, but she, it was easy for her to overuse that strength. Whereas daughter number three has just been like, I think from the time she was born, she just kind of has this, she casts a big shadow, let's say that, right? Which can be hard for the siblings around her, right? Daughter number two and daughter number four, because her shadow, she kind of takes up a lot of space and it's not, she doesn't do that necessarily in a bad way, but that is her personality. She has a big personality. And so when daughter number two would play soccer, they weren't on the same teams. Occasionally they would play on the same teams like guest play. Daughter number three would play up, but they typically were not on the same team. And so one of the things that coaches would say about daughter number two is that oftentimes you could tell when she wasn't in the game because of how the game was played, right? But when she was in the game, things just flowed so well, right? And she had a good read of the game and she knew right where to the ball needed to go. She kind of played in the midfield and she knew right where the ball needed to go. And she had that precision to where when she was putting that ball or positioning the ball in the game, it like went right exactly where it needed to go. And so when she wasn't in the game, those things wouldn't happen as well. And that's when you could tell like, oh, she's not in the game. And that's why, right? That's why it's not going as well. But when she was in the game, it's not like you could necessarily see her doing that. But overall, the game went smoother. Daughter number three, on the other hand, um, oftentimes, like it wasn't unusual if we're like at a uh, like a tournament or something like that where you've got like a bunch of fields back to back to back and people are maybe walking down the sidewalk in between trying to get to a field beyond ours and they would stop and they would watch her, right? Because like she is and was in life, she was big, right? She was big on the field. So, she, and she was fun to watch, right? Not that daughter number two wasn't, but um, daughter number three just took up more of a presence and kind of had some domination on the field, I would say. And 
So one of the times it was, you know, I, soccer really never has a break, but it was the winter season, right? So it's kind of a break. And they were doing some like uh, additional training and they were doing it together, right? The person who was training and they would go together. And so I had driven them to this training and it was, you know, far enough away that I wasn't going to go back home or do anything. So I just had taken some things to work on and I was just kind of sitting there while they were doing their training. And there was probably about seven or eight people that, that were training at that time with that trainer. And so he was working on some skills with them and teaching some things. And then at the last, maybe like 20 minutes of it, they were just kind of doing a scrimmage using what they had learned and the skills that they had been taught that day in the training. And one of the things, you know, as I'm I'm just kind of working, not really paying attention, but I noticed uh, that the, that the trainer, like he blew his whistle and paused the game and was talking to daughter number two. And he, you know, he kind of said her name loudly, which kind of caught my attention. And I looked up and he said, you need to take your shot. He's like, you were positioned and you passed the ball instead of taking the shot. And he's like, so let's back up to that point and, you know, play from there. He's like, but I want you to take your shot. And so she did. And so they're playing again. Games, you know, the scrimmage is going on. He blows the whistle again. He stops the scrimmage and says to her again, why didn't you take your shot? Like, that was your shot. Sometimes the shot isn't yours but that particular shot was yours. And, you know, let's back up to that point and I want you to take the shot. And she kept doing this, right? And this is somewhat of her personality. She is thoughtful of others and she will give to others at her own expense. And so at this point, right, I've put my work away and I'm totally enthralled in what he's doing because I'm like, if you could teach her this, you are helping me as a parent, right? So I'm watching this with with a lot of curiosity and intrigue. And, you know, again, he, he stops and he looks at her and he says, you need to take the damn shot, like, which is great, right? And I just thought this is such a great life lesson. I talked about it with her on the ride home and we talked about it on and off, you know, not all the time, but on and off over the next couple of years as she continued to play soccer and just in her life, right? As she was growing and have been more relational, like you need to be able to take your space. And so again, greed underdone, right? Can look like, I don't even know how to take my space, which again, isn't, wouldn't be a character strength, right? That would still be a character defect. And so again, we're looking for that optimal zone where we can take up our space, but we're not taking up so much space that we're coming across as greedy. So just some things to think about there where our strengths can be overused or underused in ways that are not strengths to us anymore, right? They are harmful. So one of the things I think we need to be aware of is that knowledge isn't enough, right? That when we talk about overusing or underusing our strengths, maybe we can think about it and we can understand and go, oh, okay, that's what I do. Now, I also think it's hard to know how we do it without seeking some feedback from people we trust. But we'll get there in just a minute. But I want to talk about how just knowing these things that strengths can be overdone and that strengths underdone are also not strengths, 
just that knowledge isn't enough, right? We have to understand what are the roots of this behavior. So we need to trace the overdoing or the underdoing to its source, whether that leads us back to an unexamined assumption, or maybe we have a worldview that we have that's been based on an experience that maybe we had that resulted in our faulty belief about us, or like I said, our worldview, right? That this is how things work in the world. And maybe that's not a true belief, right? Maybe that is a faulty assumption. But based on this experience, that's what I thought, right? Another way I think this can come up, um, about a year ago, I was doing some business consulting and business training uh, with Leonard, who's been on the podcast before. And we were out in Missouri um, working with a company. And one of the things that we were talking about, right, is this concept of respect. So let's say, you know, that growing up, I didn't necessarily feel like I got a lot of respect, either from my parents or from the siblings, right? We just, we weren't very kind to each other. We were kind of always on each other. We were quick to point out flaws or mistakes made. And and there just wasn't this overall sense of respect, right? Well, not surprisingly, that that individual who grew up in that family setting may be sensitive to feeling disrespected in a workplace, right? That that makes sense. Why wouldn't you be, right? Because your growing up years didn't really prepare you to handle or be able to feel confident in being respected. And so maybe, you know, as a as a manager or maybe in your workplace, you are also overly sensitive to being disrespected, right? And so maybe you put out your opinion, right? And you say, this is how this goes. And if there's some discussion around that, that feels like, again, pointing out your mistakes or being critical of you and not respecting you. And so, you know, as a manager, you may be quick to shut down any dialogue about that, right? You may not really look like we're being collaborative with the team that we work with because I'm sensitive to feeling disrespected. And the feedback from my team, right, or the dialogue may have nothing to do with how they respect or disrespect me. But if I'm overly sensitive to that, I may read it wrong, right? So I've got to be able to trace that back to its source. What is going on? Where did this belief start from? What have I not examined in my life that maybe... Uh, kind of messing things up right here or or turning things out in a way that they're not. So I also mentioned that I think sometimes it's hard for us just to be able to uh, know how we're overusing or underusing just ourselves. So I think we, there can be some good questions that we ask, right? And this may be if you have somebody that you work with, um, that you trust, who you feel knows you, and is kind to you, but will also straight shoot, shoot straight with you, right? And be honest with you. Um, then I think there's some a couple of questions. You may ask, what should I do more of? Um, you should also ask, what should I do less of? And what should I continue as is? Right? Those are some great questions. I would ask a, a few people that you work with those questions and write down what they tell you. Then I would also ask some people in my personal life, right? If you have a friend who knows you well, your partner, even if your children are a little bit older, asking them, right? So you've got some good data now from people who are giving you feedback about 
where you hold back, right? And what you need to do more of. You're also getting feedback about what you overdo, right? So what should I do less of? That's some feedback about what you're overdoing. And then what should I continue as is, right? That's information about what your optimal zone already looks like. So you're going to get that feedback again from, you know, some friends, some family members, and some work people. And then you're going to start analyzing this, right? And you're going to look for some truths, right? When I when we talk about truths, when we do this, this activity in our groups, a truth is something, you know, depending on how many people there are. Let's say that you get feedback from six people, right? So a truth is going to be something that pretty much everybody said, or at least five out of the six people said this, right? In one way or another, it may not have always been the same words that they used, but it's going to be the same idea, right? That's going to be a truth. Then we're also going to look for trends. So a trend is something that, you know, again, if we're using that, maybe six people that I got feedback from, a trend is going to be something that was said half the time, right? So five to six times this was said. And then the unique idea, right? So maybe a unique idea is something that one person told me, but it really struck, right? Or it's something that was very intriguing to me and I want to know more about it and I want to pursue looking at that, right? So again, you're looking for truths, trends, and unique ideas in the feedback that you get from the people you ask these questions. Another way you can do this is you can make a list, right? What qualities do I most admire in others or desire in myself? And then what do I overdo to get these qualities, right? Because one of the things I think that we can do, right, is is we can risk being one-dimensional, right? So if I'm pursuing these traits that I admire in other people and desire in myself, I may be a little bit blind as to what the sacrifice is as I pursue those things, right? So I, I may be pursuing these things at the expense of doing other things. And, and so that's also something to keep in mind. Um, I think another thing is to look at that oftentimes um, our overuse of strengths can be managed by bringing forth other strengths, right? So again, if we go back to the VIA in the last assessment, it identified five signature strengths, and then it had your medium strengths and then your lesser strengths, right? So again, just going with five signature strengths, if I'm overdoing two of those, at the expense of the three other signature strengths that I have, right? I may be able to focus on some of those signature strengths that I'm sacrificing in order to pursue these two that I've, for whatever reason, deemed as super important. And so I need to balance that out, right? I need to start bringing in my other three strengths and then I'll achieve some balance, right, overall. Because I think oftentimes our five signature strengths are in categories. One of the things that I was looking at this past week with signature strengths on, on the VIA site, um, they do have like a, like a circle of the strengths and it puts them in the different values. And one of the things, I don't know how true this is for other people, maybe if you've taken the VIA, but for me, um, I had a strength in each quadrant, right? So there's four quadrants. I had a strength in each quadrant and then two in one, right? And, and so again, I looked at that and I was like, okay, that's pretty balanced. And I wonder if that's true for most people, right? Our five signature strengths bring with it some balance. 
And so that we're not just kind of all of our strengths fall in this value or in this category, then I'd be lopsided, right? And lopsided strengths probably aren't strengths, right? We're probably overdoing something. So again, overuse of our strengths can be managed by bringing forth the other strengths that we've been neglected, but that we have been neglecting while we we've been pursuing the ones that we've deemed as the most important. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about here at the end, right? So there was a article that came out in 2008 by Fowers, and I'm just going to tell you the title of the article. Uh, the title of the article is From Continence to Virtue, and then the subtitle is Recovering Goodness, Character Unity, and Character Types of Positive Psychology. Right? And I just thought that's such a great title. I remember when it came out and I read it, I thought it's such a great title. And it also really talks about, to me, this is what we're recovering, right? We may be recovering from overuse of alcohol, right? We may be recovering from overusing, overusing our sexual desire or overusing work, right? Or overusing food, you know, you name, you name it, right? A lot of addictions come as an overuse of something. And so if we wind that back, right, what really we are recovering is goodness, right? Meaning in our life and goodness about us, because all of us do have that goodness. And then this next part, character unity, right? And I love that concept of this unity of character, right? That who I am is unified, right? I'm not fractured, in all of these different things that maybe contradict, right? Sometimes we talk about addiction in terms of contradiction, that addiction thrives in contradiction. And so then that would make sense that for recovery, I have this unity of character and I know my strengths and I can use them. I know what my optimal zone is to use, right? I don't overuse, I don't underuse. I mean, I may do that, right? None of us are perfect, right? But I, what, my, what I'm striving for And what my program directs is for me to fall in this optimal zone of using my strengths. And when we do that, right, we find that we have this unity of character and that because I'm unified in my, in who I am, that I have goodness in my life, right? I have meaning in my life and that there are positive things about me and my life that I enjoy and have to share. So I hope that you can focus on figuring out, you know, ask those questions. What should I do more of? What should I do less of? What should I continue? Um, Really look for what's going in the optimal zone already and what do I need to dial up and what do I need to dial down so that I can really be using my character strengths in a way that benefits me and the people around me. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. Until next time, Jack. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.